We're, uh, we're in 1 Corinthians uh, today. Uh, we're in uh, chapter 15. We've been in 1 Corinthians since, uh, man, back in 2019. It, was, it feels like another decade that we were <laughs> began it, but we've been walking through, and uh, we're coming down to the end of this, uh, this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And, uh, man, it's been such a, a powerful uh, journey for us as a church to walk through and just to see uh, the practical and powerful teachings uh, that the Apostle Paul wrote. Uh, for their benefit and for ours. And uh, so let's just pray, uh, allow God uh, to speak to us through his word uh, this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Uh, thanks for this chance just to come into your presence, Lord. I just, um, I just feel that our hearts are ready uh, this morning, Lord, ready to, uh, to just know you in a new way and to, to experience your truth in a more powerful sense, God, just to, um, just to get closer to you. That's what we want to do this morning. Uh, we come... Um, with our imperfections, uh, we come just authentically, God, with all that we are, knowing that you knew everything about us before you went to the cross to die for us. Um, you knew every, every day of our life, every, every joy and every failure, and, um, and through it all, you willingly chose uh, with joy to go to the cross, purchase our forgiveness. And so we thank you for that. And I pray that truth would just resonate in our hearts this morning as we read your word. Uh, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, <clears throat> really thinking through this idea, um, you know, the elements that, that make for a great movie. Um, and one of the things that, uh, that is always a powerful moment in a film is when uh, one of the characters gives their life uh, for others, right? I was trying to think. I'm going to crowdsource it here with you guys a little bit this morning. I was thinking Armageddon, right? Like, if you want to go back, right, they're on the meteor, and Bruce Willis is like, no, you go. Because somebody always has to stay to push the button, right? That's like, a, that's just, that's, that's life. Somebody has to stay to push the button, and that person is willing to sacrifice their life. Think about uh, William Wallace writing Braveheart. Um, he gave his life uh, for, for, for Scotland, and as he's being disemboweled, uh, by the British, he yells freedom, right? And it inspires a, a nation to rise up against their oppressors. Um, Avengers Endgame, we're probably still in the, in the window where I can't like, reveal everything. Although, if you talk to Brian Doback, he will tell you all the secrets, right? But, uh, but man, there's a couple, a couple of those. Can you think of another? What, what's another great uh, show or storyline where somebody willingly gives their life? Uh, Independence. Independence Day. It's good. I don't even remember what happened, but it was, was it Will Smith? Did he do it? No. <laughs> What else? What else? Was it four chaplains? Oh. Wow. That's amazing. So it happens in real life? It happens in story? Yeah. World War II. All right. I'm going to look that one up. That's good. Thanks, Nick. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there's literally been thousands of people that have, have given, sacrificed their lives in, in reality, right? And, and stories depict, depict that. And, um, and here's the thing, that um, uh, all of those were, were amazing, um, but none of, us, none of those ultimately brought salvation for sin, right? They might have saved lives, but they couldn't bring about resurrected life, no no personal sacrifice has the power to do that. Only Jesus is unique in that, that when he died, it wasn't just that he died on the cross out of love for us, but it's the fact of the resurrection, as Keith was mentioning earlier, 
right? The, the, the fact that, he, that the tomb is empty is what the whole foundation of the gospel is really all about, that, that Jesus is alone in that, and that not only did he give his life, but he defeated death, and he rose in victory. And because he has done that, our hope is that we will join in that, 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 that he has made the way for us to do what he has done. In the, in the church at Corinth, uh, there were some who were doubting this reality, and so, uh, so Paul spends, uh, spends some significant time today uh, just speaking to how significant the resurrection is. And so that's what we're really going to dig into and we're going to look at today, the significance of the resurrection and, and how important it is for us to, to believe in that. And so with that, with that context, uh, let's take a look at 1 Corinthians uh, 15. Uh, we're going to jump in at verse 12. Um, and it says this, it says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And so let's just pause there um, and kind of wrap our minds around what Paul is, is saying here. Uh, he, he's saying that there were some in the, the church of Corinth, some that, that would profess to be followers of Jesus, and yet were proclaiming that, that there was no resurrection of the dead. Why would they say this? There's a couple reasons, uh, uh, potentially. One is that in Greek philosophy, which was really prevalent at that time, uh, there was this, really, this belief that your soul was the only thing that mattered, that your soul would pass on to the next life, but, but that, that your body uh, did not. It was just kind of like that, that first car that you got um, when you were a teenager, particularly if it was one your parents gave you, right? <laughs> and you're like, man, this is just something to get me from A to B. It's already got a few dents. If it gets a couple more, it doesn't really matter. Um, I was talking to somebody here in the church, I won't mention who they were, but uh, they were saying with their car they have right now, they're like, one of these days I'm just going to take it and I'm just going to park it and I'm just going to walk away <laughs> and it, there it shall remain until someone claims it, right? Um, and that's how the Greeks viewed the body. They said, hey, you know, the body is just this, it's this thing that gets us around, but that's not, it doesn't, and so they believed in such a disconnection that the logical progression of that is well, like, hey, you can do whatever you want with your body. It doesn't impact your soul. Your soul is separated from your body, so, so you know, live it up, do whatever you want, because that's not, you know, it's not touching your soul. And, uh, and, and so, as we'll dig into here in a little bit, that's, that's not a right way of thinking. Um, but, but it has echoes in the way that some of us think about our Christian faith, right? Sometimes you think like, hey, well, my soul's going to heaven, so um, it can lead us to devalue the body. And, and the reality is that we're going to have resurrected bodies. Um, we're not going to be floating around as spirits. We're not going to be into the ether. We're not going to have this sort of grand conscious that we're going to have resurrected bodies just like Jesus did that will be better than the bodies we have, thank God, right? <laughs> um, but they, it will be a physical reality that we'll live in. We're not going to live in some sort of spirit realm. Um, the, the other reason that people might have doubted the, re the resurrection is just that they were skeptical about the truth of the resurrection. For 2,000 years, there have been those that have just said, well, uh, you know, the disciples uh, took his body and they hid it somewhere, or 
uh, he just swooned and then he, he woke back up later and, and the puncture in his, from the spear, he just kind of got over that and he went on to live a little. Right. There's been all these theories, there's been all these things. If you turn on the History Channel this week, you'll probably find a show about searching for Jesus' lost tomb. And they're not talking about the tomb where he, was, he just borrowed for three days. They're talking about where they expect to actually find his body. Um, this goes on and on. Right? I was just listening to a comedian last night and um, it started out as a pretty funny line of, of joke. Um, but he was talking about how uh, older men just don't have friends. <laughs> and he said, you might think that they do, but it's actually just they have wives, and their wives have friends, and those friends have husbands, and so they hang out together, but, uh, but older guys just don't really have friends. And so he said, uh, uh, you know, I was like laughing. I was like, this is actually pretty funny uh, and true. Um, and he was like, you know, he's like, I think Jesus' greatest miracle was that as a 30-year-old man, he had 12 best friends. Like, that's pretty incredible. And I was like, that's pretty good. Um, but then he kept going, and he's like, yeah, and he, you know, he would do magic, magic tricks to entertain him, and I was like, eh, and, and he's like, except when he really needed to do it most, uh, the magic trick didn't work, and I was like, man, right, so he was denying, in his mind, Jesus was this, this historical figure that had some buddies, they went around, they did all this stuff, but just like the Pharisees, when Jesus was on the, the cross, and the Pharisees said to him, hey, if you're really the Messiah, just come on down, if you come down now, now we'll believe you. And, uh, and that's essentially what he was saying. He's like, hey, when it, when it really mattered, when he was being crucified, he couldn't save himself. He denied the power of the resurrection. Didn't get a laugh from me, by the way, right? But this goes on, that people, they, they acknowledge the historical reality of a guy named Jesus. They say he was a good teacher, he was a good example, he was kind, he told people to love each other, all that stuff. But, but they deny the fact that he really rose from the grave. Um, and then there's some that would claim the Christian faith that would say, yeah, you know, I mean, all the miracles in the Bible, yeah, I don't know about all that stuff. It was metaphorical miracles and, and this and that. Um, you know, and I don't know if Jesus really rose from the grave, but we should still follow him. He was still a good example. He was still a good teacher. And, and what Paul says and what Jesus said is, if he didn't raise from the grave, we're the most to be pitied of anyone. That what we believe is foolishness. If Jesus has not resurrected, there is no power in the Bible. There's no power in the gospel. There's no, there no reason to follow him because it's not, it's not, it wouldn't be true. It's also uh, potentially just an abuse or misunderstanding of Paul's theology where earlier in this letter he says, hey, you've been resurrected with Jesus. And so there are some that, again, we're embracing this idea of a spiritual resurrection and be like, no, no, the resurrection isn't for our bodies in the future. We've already been resurrected. We're already living this resurrected life. And um, they, they miss the point of uh, so much in Scripture is this idea of already but not yet. Right? When, when you come to faith in Jesus, you're forgiven of your sins, and God views you as perfect and holy and blameless, and yet you know in your reality that you're, you're moving in that direction in this process we call sanctification, but you're not there yet. Right? You're already viewed that way, but the reality is, is into the future. And so there's always this, this dual dimension in what Jesus has done where he has already accomplished the greatest victory on the cross. It was finished. The work was finished there. And yet we await his, his return so that we can see it brought to fulfillment. And, and so maybe there was just some misunderstanding. But uh, what Paul points out here is that there's seven kind of essential things that are wrong. If you don't believe that the dead are resurrected, there's, there's seven, seven challenges to that. Number one, if, if the dead aren't resurrected, he says, then Christ hasn't been resurrected. And if Christ hasn't been resurrected, the whole thing falls apart. So that's the first problem. The second thing he says that if the dead aren't resurrected and Christ isn't resurrected, then our preaching is in vain. All this going around and, and he went from city to city and, and, and all the things that he did and was saying, he said, if I'm, I'm just 
talking into the air. If, if Jesus isn't resurrected, as, as Keith mentioned earlier, you know, we have a core value of gospel folks teaching that everything hinges on the gospel. And so if, if you can walk out of one of our messages or you can walk out of teaching here at Riverside and, and it's not clear to you that like if the grave wasn't empty, then all of that is worthless, then, then we're not staying close enough to the gospel. Um, we're not here to give you moral lessons on how to be better people. Uh, if we preach a message about forgiveness that doesn't tie it to the forgiveness that we've received from Christ and that has been promised to us and fulfilled when he rose from the grave, if, if that's not the power that drives our forgiveness, then, then it's just moralism, and it lacks any weight, and it lacks any power to actually change our lives. So we have to stay so close to the gospel or else our preaching is in vain. And if our preaching is vain, the third thing he says that your faith then is in vain, that you're believing in something that's a non-reality if Jesus is not resurrected. Fourth, he says that if we do that, we're misrepresenting God. So, so God, there is a creator God, but if he didn't send Jesus to die and Jesus didn't die on the cross and Jesus didn't raise from the grave, uh, then the God that we're claiming to represent, we're misrepresenting him, and he probably is going to have a problem with that. right? So, so we're actually making an enemy of God if what we're saying is not true. Um, he says if that's not true, number five, is that you're still in your sins that you haven't been freed from sin, that you haven't been forgiven or redeemed, um, which means that either Jesus also had sin, which is why he wasn't resurrected, which is why he wasn't accepted, or his sacrifice just wasn't sufficient if, if, if he wasn't resurrected. Six, he says that, that those who are asleep in Christ have actually perished. Those that believed in Jesus and died are gone. We'll never see them again, right? They've ceased to exist. If there's no resurrection of the dead, that's it. And seventh, he says, we of all men are most to be pitied. The Christian life is not, uh, some people would say, like, hey, you know, live as a Christian. Like, what do you have to lose? It's a good way to live. You know, you make friends, community, um, you know. So even if you don't really believe in Jesus, you know, church is a good place to hang out. Paul says, no way. <laughs> he says, the way that you're meant to live the Christian life, if you, you're wasting your time at church if Jesus has not been resurrected, if he has not risen from the grave, that there is no value that it's to be pitied. We're be to be pitied more than anyone else. So he says all this, right? This, this sermon is starting to feel like a real downer. And then verse 20 comes along, and it begins with this word, but. Um. I read a commentary this week, and I don't think he realized it, and I don't think he was trying to be ironic, but, but he said, this is one of the greatest buts in the Bible. <laughs> and so if, any, if, if you forget everything else, just, just tell people, like, hey, what was church about? Like, man, we learned about one of the greatest buts in the Bible, and it was amazing. Um, this word but, though, right, in Ephesians, we know from Ephesians 2, right, that uh, but Christ, right? Like, when the word but is in there, and so if, if, if Jesus was not resurrected from the grave, all those things, every, everything begins to crumble, everything begins to fall apart. But verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. 
For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, if humanly speaking, I fault the beast at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. And I say this to your shame. Man, he doesn't pull any punches, right? <laughs> I don't remember the last time I told somebody to wake up from their drunken stupor, but um, that, that's some strong language, right? Well, there's three things that he points out here. He says, but... If Jesus hasn't been resurrected, then all those things are true. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And so because of that, there's, there's three, three things that, that he points out. First, he points that, that there's been a new and better Adam. Um, that, uh, that, that the original Adam, that sin entered in through his choice of rebellion. And so because of that, all of us, uh, from birth, are marked with sin. Um, man, if you don't believe it, you can hang out with my, my little guy, Wynn, for a couple hours, right? He's, he's coming up on two years old. He's awesome. Cutest kid I've ever seen. But that dude, <laughs> he has just got a rebellious streak sometimes. You know, he'll take the glass of water, and you'll be like, don't do it. And he'll be like, right? Uh, Trina, you didn't teach him to do that, right? I, I don't think anybody taught him to do that, but there's something in us. We're not as wretchedly horrible as we could possibly be, but all of us have. This mark of sin and rebellion. I see Keith nodding over here. He knows, you know. <laughs> the people with kids are like, yeah, right? It's just a reality um, that, that we're, we're born with a stain of sin. But here's the good news. He says that Jesus has started a new line in the same way that we're stained with sin from birth because of Adam and Eve's rebellion, uh, that Jesus is like the new Adam, and he has started a new lineage that now through Jesus, that those who've been reborn through him are born into holiness, that we're born into forgiveness, that we're born into adoption, that we're born into a sanctified condition of living. It's this, this already but not yet that I already talked about, right? We are resurrected with Christ. And so when you put your faith in him, you can know that when God looks at you, he doesn't look and say, man, I'm disappointed. Man, I expected more when I made you. Ah, oh, you let me down again, right? He doesn't say those things. When Jesus looks at us, uh, when, when God looks at us, he sees the perfect record of Jesus applied to us. And so, so he sees what Jesus did uh, just as if you had done it. Now, he loves you, and, and he wants you to walk on his path because that's the way to find purpose and peace and hope and assurance. He doesn't want you to engage in sin. He wants you to do what's right. But, but you can have this confidence that when God looks at you, um, what he sees is the perfect record of Jesus applied to you. He looks at you and says, forgiven, redeemed. Holy, my child, I love, right? And that's all because of what Jesus has done for us. I think the other, the significant thing here is that um, the, it points to this, this historic reality uh, of, of Adam. Uh, that, that Paul talks about Adam 
as a, as a real historical figure, right? That, that Jesus talked about Adam as a real historical figure, about Jonah as a real historical figure. And so um, one of the things that he was calling the Corinthians out on, he says, hey, your theology doesn't add up all the way down. If you push what you believe all the way through, it's not going to make sense. And so, uh, so if you adopt a theology that doesn't involve a true and actual Adam and Eve in the garden who chose rebellion and, and thereby um, experienced the curse and were removed from the garden, if that's not where your, your history of humanity begins, then, then at some point it, it all kind of falls apart. And so Jesus wants us to have good theology that pushes all the way down, that embraces the truth of Scripture from, from Genesis to Revelation. Um, because when we begin to edit out pieces and we begin to, to, to uh, chip away at it, it removes the power of the gospel. Every, every, every page in this book is telling the story of, of the gospel, right? That the God made man. Um, we rebelled in sin. That part took about two pages. <laughs> and then he begins this incredible rescue plan with Jesus, sending Jesus to, to, to live a perfect life, to die in our place, to offer us forgiveness, and then for us to begin working that out as the church. And, and um, man, whether for better or worse, the church is God's plan for bringing the good news of Jesus and restoring his creation. And so we have a heavy responsibility on us uh, to carry forward what, what, what Jesus began. But the good thing is that we're not doing it in our power, right? We're doing it in the power of Jesus. He says, all power has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples, and I'll be with you to the end of the age. Second thing, so Jesus the new and better Adam. The second thing that we see here is that, um, man, and this is so encouraging, death will be defeated by Jesus. He's already defeated Jesus, but he hasn't yet put death under his feet. And, um, and I was thinking about this because, you know, there's, there's um, families in the church that have, have dealt recently with the passing of loved ones. And, and the reality is that even if you lived a long and fruitful and blessed life, um, man, no matter what age someone passes, there's always an incredible sorrow. And that's because death is not the gate to enter into the better life. Uh, it's, not, it's not our friend who finally comes and collects us, right? Death is the enemy of Jesus Christ. Death was not part of his perfect creation. And death ultimately will be utterly defeated by Jesus, but, but death will be the final enemy that he defeats. And so for a season, for a time now, we still have to contend with and to deal with and to, and to wrestle with death. But ultimately, Jesus is going to defeat death. I, I find that so encouraging. Um, that there will be no more separation. Uh, that, that, that for those of us that have lost loved ones, that have, uh, that have, uh, have felt the pain of death, to know that it, it's not something that we've just got to wrap our minds around and embrace and come to accept. No, it's, it's an enemy. <laughs> it's the enemy of Jesus, and he has defeated it, and he will ultimately put it under his feet. I take so much encouragement from that. Along with death, he will defeat every enemy, and, and there's a lengthy part in here where he talks about who's subjected to whom and, and all that. And really what he's saying is uh, God sent Jesus with this mission. He gave him uh, uh, the, the Son as the, the co-equal member of the Trinity, right? God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit, uh, three persons of the Trinity, fully God, uh, fully equal, but unique in role and responsibility. And so the Father sends the Son. The Son goes. He accomplishes everything the Father laid out for him. He, he defeats every enemy, and then he comes and he lays the restored kingdom at the feet of the Father. 
And, and the father says, this is my beloved son. And in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. It's this incredible man. If you want to know how to have good earthly relationships, look at the relationship within the Trinity. Um, how, how, how there's honor and there's, um, there's this, uh, this understanding of, of uniqueness and distinctness with equality. And man, I think it's so powerful. Um, so Jesus is the new and better Adam. Death is ultimately defeated by Jesus. And the third thing that we see in this passage is that our life should reflect the reality of the resurrection. He basically says, if this is what you believe, Jesus has raised from the grave. If you've come to believe that, your life should reflect that. If there is no resurrection, he said, what are you doing here? You should be down in Cancun or, or hedonism or wherever you would go, right? Like it, he says, hey, if, if, the, if, the, if there is no resurrection, eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow you die. Well, you know, why are you wasting time? Why, why am I suffering? Why did so many of the early Christians die as martyrs, fed to, fed to lions, burned at the stake, um, uh, suffering terrible pain and, and, and agony and and that's why I think as we're coming up on the Easter season, man, it's good to look at the sufferings of Jesus. And the sufferings of Jesus were significant. Um, but if, if I can say this, uh, there's people that suffered in a physical sense in ways that even exceeded what Jesus suffered. Right? Um, so it wasn't just the depth of his suffering. It wasn't that Jesus suffered so much more than everybody else. He suffered unjustly. He experienced separation from the Father, so we would never have to experience that. And that's something that we can't wrap our minds around, right? But, but what's unique about Jesus is not the suffering. What's unique is about the resurrection. And there were a lot of people that followed his footsteps, and they suffered, and they were killed for their faith. But their death didn't bring about our resurrection. Only Jesus could do that. So if there's no resurrection, you know, why, why try and live a moral life? What's the, what's the point? He says that wrong thinking leads to wrong behavior. And there's this, this confusing piece in there about um, this idea of, of baptizing. Uh, why are people baptized uh, on behalf of the dead? Now, uh, in reading, studying up on this, there's over 300 possible explanations for what this means. But the reality is, like, we don't know. It was something the Corinthians were doing. Um, but here's what you need to take away. It's not prescriptive. It's not saying, hey, we should all start being baptized on, on, on behalf of the dead. Uh, it's mentioned nowhere else in Scripture. Uh, Paul allowed it, but he basically said, hey, if you're going to choose to do this thing, why would you do that if nobody's resurrected? His point is, you know, it doesn't even make sense. Are, are the things that you're doing in your walk with Jesus, do they make sense? Or, or is, it, is it ritual? Is it, is, is it religion? Is it, is it routine? Uh, we're going to take the Lord's Supper here in a little bit, and um, it's something that we always try and make really clear when we, when we talk about this and when we do this here at the church, that the Lord's Supper is this powerful, significant symbol that was given only to the church. Um, it's a physical reminder of the body of, of Christ broken for us, the blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins, uh, but, but there's nothing magical about doing this. There's nothing magical about taking the bread and, and taking the cup and, and partaking of it. And, and so if, if your hope is in some sort of ritual that doesn't align with what you believe, it doesn't make sense. 
But if you look at this and you say, I've, I've put my faith in Jesus, the one who died for me and who was resurrected for me. And when I come to this, it's a reminder of his body that was broken. It's a reminder of his blood that was poured out. It's also a reminder of his promise that he's going to come again and that the next time he, he partakes of the meal will be the marriage feast of the Lamb when we're united with him in heaven. And if, and if that's the significance and that's the meaning behind this, then that's a powerful thing. And it's a reminder to us of like, man, I mean, we should say like, hey, wait, am I worthy of that? <laughs> should I go and take that? It should be a reminder that no, wait, wait a minute, yeah, no, I'm not worthy. And yet Jesus knew that I wasn't worthy, and he died anyways. And so what we're encouraging in Scripture, as Dave preached on a few weeks ago, is uh, when it's time to take the Lord's Supper, we should do it with, with reverence, with a, with a solemn demeanor. We should, we should come and say, Lord, it, if there's sin I'm aware of, I want to confess it to you right now. If there's sin I'm unaware of, man, bring it to mind. Reveal it to me. And that's one of the most dangerous places you can be if you're like, man, I... I just can't really think of any area where I'm sinning right now. I can't think of any struggle that I'm having spiritually. Like, I feel like I'm good, right? Danger, danger, right? The light is flashing. So this is between you and God. I just want to invite you, and I can invite those who are going to help us take the Lord's Supper to come into place. And I want to invite you just right now at your seat there to just bow your head. And this is just you and God. Man, if he's, if he's pushing on your heart about something, confess it. If you're like, man, I, I struggle with this sin, but I don't know how to overcome it, then I encourage you to, uh, to, to ask him to give you the strength, give you the power, bring the, the relationship, open the door, help you to begin to take those steps. Um, if you can't think of any sin that you're struggling with, I, I just really encourage you right now to say, Lord, help me to see my blind spots. Help me to know what, what is it that I'm missing what is it that I, that I need you to do that only you, you can do? And if you're here and, um, and, and the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you this morning about the resurrected Jesus, the, the, there's really a clear choice in front of you, and, and the Bible intends this to be a clear choice. That either Jesus was truly the Son of God who died for our sins and rose in victory over death three days later, or he wasn't. If he wasn't, he's not worthy of your worship, and it's not going to benefit you to spend time in church. But if you believe that he was, if you know that it's true that he was risen from the grave, then I encourage you, don't waste another day disconnected from his will. What it promises in Scripture is that he's going to send his Holy Spirit to reside in us, to teach us, to reveal his will to us through his word, to show us how to live, to be our helper, to walk alongside us. And if you don't have that, I, I want to encourage you that you can receive that today, and it's by simply praying a prayer and saying, God, I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died for my sins. believe that you love me and I believe that I am forgiven and I want to walk with you Holy Spirit teach me show me how to live I pray this in Jesus name